Hello, Keelan. Hello, Hello everybody. Leo. And welcome to the Misano Review. First of all, I have to apologize. I'm tired as fuck. I slept four hours and it's a pretty wild story. Um, like my life usually is pretty boring. So I don't go out partying too much anymore. And uh, I stay at home with the missus and, and the animals. So everything's quite easy going. But uh, yeah, the last 24 hours for my uh, uh, for my typical way of living my life have been quite wild. So we had a fight night at the gym I'm training at. So we went there and watched some kids fight. It was hilarious. <laughs> they did the point fighting and um, it's quite a nice way for ch uh, children to fight, but <laughs> still very hilarious if they're like seven-year-olds uh, uh, fighting each other. So I had a blast. It was fun, but it was super hot. Then we went to a birthday party and we got home at like half past four so it was long and um, then the ufc was live so i couldn't miss that and my boy sean strickland <laughs> my uh, fellow skinhead <laughs> he did the impossible i mean this is a MotoGP gp podcast but i think we have to talk about it because yeah. sean strickland is a biker he's one of us and <laughs> he's he, one of um, us he once reposted a story of mine or like a reel of mine which <laughs> was uh, very very cool and uh yeah i love him he's so hilarious so yeah this motherfucker goes out and outboxes the best kickboxer <laughs> the ufc probably has ever seen i mean it's just so wild how he's screaming at him and like the first one to ever drop adesanya how incredible Whoa. but like how he's screaming at him at the end of the fifth oh, let's fucking go china man <laughs> absolutely <laughs> hilarious and uh, yeah i'm very happy for him and we might actually live in a world where sugar sean o'malley sean strickland and colby Covington are ufc champs simultaneously so yeah espn might uh, as well cut the deal with the ufc <laughs> <laughs> did you see did you see that they stopped the press conference with yeah. uh, sean before too many swear words <laughs> Yeah, Sean's the fucking goat, honest to God. That is about the funniest thing I've ever seen. Honestly, Sean Strickland was my f second favorite thing uh, of the fight night because um, Manuel Cap. Manuel Cap, yeah. Yeah, Cape, whatever, however you pronounce his name. He's Portuguese, so I don't know. Yeah, but um, this tiny motherfucker <laughs> starts beef with Israel Adesanya, who is like twice the size of the press conference, <laughs> insults him, then wins the fight. I mean, it was a close fight. It was a good fight. And uh, Dos Santos kid, he really impressed me. But um, then he goes out, insults Kaikara France, and says basically, yeah, if you pull out again, I will go to your gym and kick your ass. And nobody will do something because they're all a bunch of faggots. And then DC, <laughs> DC with the microphone, which just walks away like, nope, not anymore. <laughs> and honestly, I miss Joe Rogan so much because I feel like Joe Rogan would have yeah. uh, kept the microphone in his face and let him talk, <laughs> let him rage. So yeah, it was hilarious. And like, also, I'm very happy for Sean because like, Inzi is so good, but he's so fucking cringe. I mean, come on. <laughs> Dude paints his fingernails. Oh my god! It, it, yeah. I swear to God, 
somewhere along the line in life, we went down an alternate timeline where only this could happen, where yeah. Sean O'Malley, Sean Strickland, and potentially Colby Covington could all be UFC champions. I mean, I think we have to try and get Sean Strickland on the podcast. I think this is the ultimate crossover because, like you said, Sean Strickland's a biker. You know, he's a Harley rider. Okay, fair enough. But it's still a bike. You know, he is still one of us. And I think if we can get the UFC middleweight champion on the Bad Moto GP podcast, the content is just, it, it'll, I'll retire from podcasting because we need to see Sean Strickland on here. We've got the two skinheads. We've got the bike connection. I mean, it writes itself. It really, really does. And then Manel Cape going off in his homophobic slur against city kickboxing. <laughs> I guess the dude that's 60 pounds bigger than him. <laughs> I mean, it was fucking hilarious, and oh, it was so like funny. seven seven a.m. in the morning. I went to bed, <laughs> slept for like four hours, woke up for Moto three, <laughs> and uh, yeah, then watched Moto two, watched uh, Moto GP. Then I watched World Superbike. So um, my brain is fried, but um, yeah, I mean, and the European Championships uh, from Dress Dressage European Championships <laughs> are. At the moment, so I my girlfriend watched this and I watched it simultaneously with her. Yeah, it was a wild ride today, literally. <laughs> but we're here to talk about MotoGP, and I mean, how fucking heroic are Marco Bezzecchi and Peko Banyaya? Wow. I mean, Peko couldn't even get off the bike by himself. I remember last week we were talking about him potentially missing. But we didn't know if there were any broken bones or whatsoever. They still had to clear this. And he was declared fit. But by no means, I would have guessed that he finished on the podium twice. And the way he fought off uh, Dani Pedrosa was good. But the battles with uh, Marco Bezzecchi and this kind of attempt for, of a battle with Jorge Martin at the beginning of the race. Dude, whatever those painkillers are, I want some. <laughs> Because those <laughs> pills are fucking magic. I mean, incredible. I can't even, to quote Jack Dixon, I can't even put it into words. <laughs> How incredible this this performance is. And I mean, yes, Jorge Martin was better than everybody, uh, faster than everybody. His qualifying pace was electric. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, yes, he had to deal with two injured uh, cripples. <laughs> On a <laughs> on a Ducati, Too so yeah. Ducati I mean, riders. he was supposed to win, and I mean that's with the most respect I could possibly give Hohmati because he was flawless this weekend. But like the real heroes were for me, Marco Bezzecchi and uh, Peko, because it was incredible what they did and how much better they were than everybody else who are like on the same bike. Like for example, where the fuck was Jean Zarco? Or Luca Marini, like, yeah, I mean, crazy. <laughs> I mean, I still can't find them. Um, but I mean, Marco Bezzecchi and Paco Bagnaia, I mean, that is just those are just the hearts of champions right there. And it's like I always say to people, MotoGP riders are built differently, and for this very reason. I mean, I don't, I, I suppose we can kind of joke about it now because Paco's all right. But I thought Pekka was going to end up like Joe Swanson from Family Guy, you know, like a like a half empty toothpaste. But 
thankfully he's okay and thankfully he didn't break his fucking legs or anything <laughs> like that and not only does he not break his legs he goes to one of the toughest tracks in europe in Mizano, and he gets two podiums out of it i mean that's just unbelievable form from paco you know nothing but the utmost of respect to him and he showed exactly why he's a world champion you know that kind of commitment to the point where you can't even get off your own bike by yourself that's just that says it more than anything and marco bezecchi with a completely ruined left hand to go out and get two podiums as well is just heroic it really is i mean i'm left-handed right and I can't imagine what I would do if my hand was in that condition. So for Marco Bezzecchi to be able to go out onto a MotoGP bike and get two podiums out of Mizano is just, words don't even do it justice. It's just unbelievable. It is genuinely heroic how tough both of those guys have been, and they deserve all the credit that they're getting, and rightfully so, because that was just outrageous. Yeah. But uh, to go back to Jorge Martin, I remember us talking about him last week, like mm. this is his opportunity to close in the championship. And even if Peko is racing like he did, mm -hmm. um, he still has to make sure that he cuts into that deficit until Peko is at 100%. Because I'm quite sure if Peko was at 100%, he would stop <laughs> him. Yeah, I, I'm inclined him. to agree. Yeah. So... Uh, Props to Jorge Martin. It's not his fault Peko crashed. It's not his fault that uh, Marco Vizecchi crashed. And he's doing everything right. I mean, it's the second double of the season. So if he can get the consistency rolling, in, especially like with India upcoming, um, I'm not quite sure if this is true, but I might, I might have read that they are doing the homologation on Thursday before the race. Mm -hmm. And the riders are apparently super angry because there were some walls who or are some walls in India who are very, very misplaced in a way for motorcycle racing. Ugh. And um, there are rumors that there was like the secret meeting where riders uh, met in Montmelo. And um, yeah, they were discussing what they do and if the safety standards don't live up. So it's going to be a wild ride. Again, like always, I don't remember if we're going to India next week or we have a two-week break. I don't fucking know, but uh, yeah, um, it's going to be wild. Like this India track is a complete wildcat. Nobody has ever been there. Nobody has ever, I mean, like the best thing you can do is play it on the PlayStation, but um, it's a complete wildcat and it could shake things up, you know? Yeah, And um, yeah, if Jorge Martin can continue this trajectory and um, make up points on Peko, and as long as Peko is like not at 100%, then uh, we might actually see a championship battle. Very possibly, very possibly. I mean, Jorge Martin has been absolutely outstanding this whole weekend. I mean, on Saturday in qualifying, Maverick Vinales sets a lap record for two wheels around Mizano. I think it was a 130.8. And then Jorge Martin comes along and just blows it out of the water by half a second. I mean, that's just outrageously good form from Jorge Martin. He might actually have the best one-lap pace out of any rider in MotoGP. I mean, the kid's talent is just so, so high. 
but it's always been his consistency that's been the big issue. But what we saw this weekend was complete and utter consistent domination from Jorge Martin. And I think we both said this at the beginning of the season. For Jorge Martin, it's just about consistency and doing it week after week. His talent and certainly his speed have never been the issue. He's one of the fastest riders on an already very fast grid. It's just putting all the pieces together and putting them together week after week after week. Now... I don't know what Paco Banyaya's health status is. I can't imagine it's very good because he's in severe pain from having to ride around Mizano. But like you said, what Jorge Martin has to do for the next at least two, three weeks is take advantage to as great a degree as possible of Paco Banyaya's decreased health. And as long as he can keep getting wins and high results, then we could well have a championship battle. But it's, I mean, really for the next few weeks, it's in Jorge Martin's hands how close he makes this. He could drive this pretty damn close, um, but it's on him um, at the end of the day. But credit to him, brilliant, brilliant weekend. Never looked close to anybody else touching him, really. The thing is... Paco is now still in shape. Like everybody who ever worked out in their life, you know, like one week break doesn't completely get you out of shape. But if he's not able to train for like three weeks, four weeks because of his leg, then it could be, uh, let's say, more damaging to his championship charge than this race in Misano because he was mm -hmm. still like at, like from his fitness perspective at close to 100%, yes, he has the leg injury, but uh, like his overall fitness, but if he can't train for like a month, uh, it's going to be difficult. So uh, I'm very excited to see how it plays out. And you mentioned something very interesting, like a very f already very fast grid. And with Dani Pedrosa, absolute legend, what he did um, on the grid, it got me thinking like, yes, we have a very good grid, like from top to bottom, but is Danny Pedrosa just one of the best riders we've ever seen, like born in the wrong era? Like, would he smoke everybody on this grid now if he was 10 years younger? Or is the new KTM just as good as a Ducati or even better? I think that's a really interesting question, actually. And I'd love to hear everybody's responses to this as well. Let us know what you think about this. But... I always have maintained that Danny Pedrosa is the greatest rider to never win a world title in the Premier class. I don't think I'll find much opposition to that. And I think, <clears throat> to be completely honest with Danny Pedrosa's ability, I think he would beat 90% of the current riders in this paddock if he was in his physical peak in 2023 as opposed to 2010, 2011. I think that's how good of a rider Danny Pedrosa is and how good he's always been. And you make a great point about the KTM and is it only because the KTM is as good as other bikes? But he's the reason the bike's as good as other bikes. You know, it's not like somebody else has come along, made this bike great and Danny Pedrosa's reaping the rewards. Danny Pedrosa's helped make this bike the base that it is. So that, if anything lends more credit to the Danny Pedrosa argument about how good he is rather than taking anything away. Not only can he race and beat most of the grid, but he's developed the bike that's beating most of the grid too. So in my opinion, I think you made a very good point about Danny Pedrosa being sort of 
born in the wrong era because I think if you had peaked Danny Pedrosa now, you'd see him challenging for podiums every single weekend. I just think he's that good of a rider and he's got such a high rider IQ that I think a lot of riders would struggle to deal with him. I think he's a nightmare of a challenge on the track. Yeah, and I could uh, I could think we all agree that uh, if we put Casey Stoner on the Ducati, oh. he would be better than Peko. Yeah. I would say. If we put, I mean, if Danny Pedrosa was riding for Honda, he still wouldn't get any podiums, but uh, like, let's <laughs> pretend he would ride for KTM. Uh, then yes, I could see him definitely be better than Brad Binder. Yeah, if, no question. Uh, like Valentino Rossi on a competitive Yamaha. Like the thing with the Yamaha and Honda, uh, the comparison lags a little bit because the bikes are garbage now. But mm -hmm. if you put Vale on a Ducati now, like peak Vale, nobody could touch him. Marcus, I mean, we saw he was like out of the alien era, he was the most uh, successful mm -hmm. when everybody raced uh, simultaneously. Like, sadly, we never saw Marcus versus Stoner. That would have been awesome. Oh, but uh, and Jorge Lorenzo, I mean, if Jorge Lorenzo stayed with Ducati, I mean, he could have uh, had some very, very successful seasons over the pandemic. And if he never injured himself the way he did on the Honda. And, uh, yeah, Danny Pedrosa was just, like, born in the wrong era, I believe, because right now I think he's completely out of racing shape. Not riding shape, racing shape. Mm -hmm. And for him, there's no value in just biting down on the mouthpiece and just go because the risk is too high and the rewards are too little. Like, if he's P4 or P3, that's not necessarily a big difference for him. Mm -hmm. But it would have been nice, of course, but uh, like his overall legacy wouldn't uh, rise due to the P3, the sprint, mm. for example. You know? And um, I think the whole thing with the wings and how to overtake and how to uh, maneuver with your lines to not overheat your front tire is like a challenging task. And if you don't do it every weekend, uh, it can be difficult, I could imagine. But uh, like from a riding perspective, he is so incredibly talented and his only downfall basically were always his injuries. And who knows if, if it would have been better in 2023 with all the sprint races and like his bad luck at times. So, uh, but like from a riding perspective, I think if he was 10 years younger, he would be competing with Peko and Bezeki and Jorge Martin at the front. And like he did, but like for the victory and not for P4. So mm. <clears throat> I definitely think that uh, Danny Pedrosa is one of the most extraordinary talents we ever saw. Like he's the most accomplished rider coming into MotoGP I can remember because he won the 250 championship mm -hmm. two times in the 250, I believe, in his rookie season and the 125. So he won like three championships in a row. And like the next best thing would be like a Mark Marcus who won the one two five CC championship and then uh the Moto two and of course uh Pedro Acosta if he wins the title he won in his rookie season in Moto three and now is on his way to win the Moto GP title or like Valentino Rossi Jorge Lorenzo two time two fifty champion. I mean those guys are 
incredibly talented and nobody on the current grid except Mark Marcus has this kind of pedigree. So uh, I think Danny Pedroso would inflict some serious damage and we can't talk about Danny Pedroso without the new bike and uh, we've been raging over the steel frame shitbox for years now because it's so unpredictable, it's so inconsistent, it's such a pick to ride but in this season they seem to figure it out but again jack miller is struggling a lot now mm. augusto fernandez has his ups and downs and like it was always brad bender's bike yeah it was always the case and uh, even like a rider like miguel Oliveira couldn't figure it out at times so very very difficult bike and it seems like it works for brad binder now uh, very very at a very good level and there's still something missing um but like jack miller is taking a shit at the back of the grid getting wiped out by michele piro or he him wiping out michele Piro. i didn't saw, uh, see the replay uh, did you see the replay I didn't actually. I'm not. I'm not sure who hit into who, but the fact that he's even in that position is it, that's the big concern. The yeah. fact that he's there in the first place. Yeah. Same uh, with Augusto Fernandez. I mean, yes, he's a rookie, but still, uh, he shouldn't be so far down, getting overtaken by Brad Binder after Brad Binder crashed, like mm. on more or less the same bike. That's also a very bad look. And uh, Paul Espargaro just can't stop crashing. So it's a very bad look when you take Danny Bedrosa from this weekend for KTM. So KTM should be very thankful. And the whole point uh, I was trying to make, like the steel frame has been complicated. And now, by the looks of it, they implemented some carbon parts or have like a full carbon chassis. I'm not quite sure, but I will talk with Jack Gorst over the um, course of the week uh, after the tests are done. Like tomorrow, 9-11, those teams have to really attack uh, the test and oh, uh, fucking hell really hit the target there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I will talk with Jack about it and hopefully he will answer a lot of those questions I have. And if you have some, uh, you can text me on Instagram, you can drop it in the comments. Probably I will do a Q&A again, so I will put something up in my story. But if I don't, it depends a little bit on how busy I am. Then uh, yeah, please reach out to me and uh, I will uh, ask Jack your questions. But um, it looks like with the carbon with the carbon chassis that they or with the carbon frame that they really could make some progress there and i mean ktm they're a very good bunch of people they know how to do stuff and red bull they know how to do stuff and i could definitely see the bike being better but it should be very unlikely that ktm basically have the first version of this bike to really test it because it's like the early tests for next year's bike, you know, the Jerez uh, tests or the Jerez bike, uh, Danny Pedrosa rode was just like a, prog a progression of the RC 16 they wrote at the beginning. Mm. And um, if they just out of the box, bring the most competitive bike on the grid, uh, because like I would argue that the KTM Danny Pedrosa wrote, if it's the bike, then 
like with Brad Binder, who's in racing shape, like I uh, already talked about, should be higher than the test rider. Like things are normally uh, in MotoGP with Michele Piro, for example, but Michele Piro is no Daniel Piroso. So that's like the question. Have KTM just got their version of the F2004 where it's just perfect and you don't know what to do with it because it's just so good and you try to look for mistakes but there are none because it's so good uh, or is Danny Pedrosa just such an incredible rider and I'm all here for it to find out I'm very uh, interested if Pedro will get a ride on the RC16 because I remember Remy Gardner and Rolf Fernandez got their first taste of the RC16 in 2021 at the Misano test. So mm -hmm. I could definitely see KTM allowing him to test the bike because it will just only benefit his rookie season, I believe. Well, hasn't so, Dennis yeah. Anchu hasn't Dennis Anchu been testing a Moto2 bike? Yeah, yeah. On the so Pirelli they'll probably test. let Pedro ride an RC16 then. I don't know if they're allowed to. That's a whole different ballgame. So hmm. who knows? But um, yeah, it will definitely be interesting. Yeah. But um, if KTM really hit it out of the ballpark with this bike, then we are in for a treat next season. Because now it looks like KTM is still one step behind behind Ducati and Peko. But if they're like on a level, it should be interesting. And uh, if they can bring this consistency Brad Binder has at the moment... So, yeah, very, very uh, exciting days with the tests uh, coming up tomorrow. So um, I am very, very excited to talk with Jack about it. And, yeah, I would I would like to know the answer of the question, but I think, like, realistically, it's a combination of both. The KTM is very good, but also Danny Pedrosa is very good. So I think it will be a combination of those two factors. Well, let me put it this way. HRC's top executives must lie awake at night wondering why they let <clears throat> Danny Pedrosa go to KTM. And I think the reason they left is, or the reason they let him leave, is kind of the reason why Danny Pedrosa never got the credit he deserved. I think he's been overshadowed his entire career, and unfairly so. I mean, when Danny Pedrosa rode, okay, fans appreciated him, and they did <clears throat> they did give him the credit he deserved. But I don't think Danny Pedrosa's talent was ever as fully appreciated as it should have been because he was overshadowed by the alien era, by Jorge Lorenzo, Valentino Rossi, Mark Marquez, Casey Stoner. And Danny Pedrosa was always kind of the other alien. He was never really one of the main pack of aliens when he should have been. And then when you think about Danny Pedrosa's time at Honda with Mark Marquez... This kind of comes back to Honda's arrogance and lack of foresight. You know, Honda thought that the good times would never end with Mark, and they thought that, you know, okay, this bike's a piece of shit, but we have Mark Marquez, and Mark will always be able to make this bike work. Okay, Danny, you can leave. We don't need you. We have Mark. It's been great, but goodbye. And then it's it's kind of a bit like the Great Depression and every other great disaster that's ever happened in history. Honda never saw it coming. The disaster comes, and now they look like assholes in hindsight, basically. And what KTM have done is take advantage of one of the greatest riders in modern MotoGP history, his high IQ and appreciation for the sport, and his development ability to build that bike into what it's become. And 
when it comes to KTM, you know, Danny Pedrosa is at least 60 to 70% responsible for why they're as good as they are now. Don't get me wrong, you have great riders like Brad Bender, who's just a hard worker and who can make the best of what he has. But when you have someone like Danny Pedrosa who can give you 80, 90, 100 laps at every test, and he has the IQ to say, okay, the frame's wrong, the tires are wrong, the exhaust is wrong. When you have somebody who thinks like an engineer and thinks like a mechanic, but has the talent of a rider, you can't put a price on that insight and that information. And Danny Pedrosa is that intelligent that he can go to his engineers and know more about the bike than they do and that's why he was so good this weekend because that bike is his bike nobody has spent the time on that ktm that danny pedrosa has spent he knows every single intricacy of that bike he knows it on a level that nobody else does and that's why it's so good because it's danny pedrosa's insight and with danny pedrosa i mean like you said you made a great point about the bike if he develops that bike into something that can be even better next year, then Ducati could have a real challenger on their hands. They genuinely could. Because right now, the difference is Gigi Delinha at Ducati, who is basically a mad NASA scientist who's made that bike into a space rocket. But if Danny Pedrosa and KTM can take that bike to the next level, we're in for a very exciting 2024. Yes. Like the point with Honda, Honda has all the tools to build a great uh, motorcycle, but they stand in their, their own way. Mm. Like, for example, only listening to Mark, or like Yamaha, only listening to Fabio. And just having the arrogance like, no, we know better. And yeah. I think KTM is very open to the feedback of Danny Pedrosa, all the riders, and also like bringing in engineers from Red Bull Racing to fix the error. I mean, the bike was completely different last year. Remember, they built like a whole new bike without concessions over the winter, and it has been a success for them, I would say. Yeah. and uh, Or at least for Brad Binder. But the thing with Jack Miller is now we are talking about Jack Miller leaving KDM at the end of the season, and there is speculation I heard that this is not true, but uh, there was this rumor that KTM offered him uh, double the salary and 10 wildcards to step aside for Pedro. And like, could you really sack another rookie like Augusto Fernandez? Probably, yes, you could, but uh, it's a bad look for the sport. Pedro wants to be in the uh, factory team. You can't convince me otherwise. So maybe this mm, thing no is question. off the table because Pedro just wants to be at the factory bike and it's still weird to me that there have been any official announcement yet. It's weird that uh, Paul Espargaro and Augusto Fernandez say, hey, I have a seat for next year and also Jack Miller. But uh, with performances like this, the way we know KTM, we might as well see Jack Miller on the Dakar next year. And uh, Pedro taking over his spot at the factory team. Like, it's unfair. I think he deserves a lot more time than half a year because he has his ups and downs and it's totally natural. But uh, KTM is just KTM. And if you're not Brett Binder, then you're out. Well, <clears throat> it's both a brilliant and a terrible dilemma to have if you're KTM because... 
on the one hand, you have arguably the greatest talent since Mark Marquez, a once in a generation talent stepping up to MotoGP. And that's like having diamonds in your hands. Everybody wants to have the next big thing. The problem is, is who do you get rid of to fit him in? Because Dorn is not giving them a fifth bike. The wild card thing certainly isn't true. That's been confirmed by multiple outlets that that was complete bullshit and that never really happened. So now the question is, it's a game of musical chairs where we have two chairs for three riders. Who's going to be the odd man out? You know, Polo Spargro has had a horrendous injury that he got at the beginning of the season, but he can't stop crashing either. Augusto Fernandez is a rookie who's been getting better and better, but isn't spectacular. And then you have Jack Miller, who's a known hard worker and a real workhorse, but keeps holding people up in the race and can't get the positions back when he gets overtaken. So... If you're Pitt Byrer and if you're Hervé Poncheral, you've got difficult decisions to make because Pedro Acosta is going up to MotoGP and you cannot let him walk. You have to keep him. That That's not even a discussion. The question is, who's going to end up with the sad face and who's going to be the odd man out? My money's on Jack Miller, if I'm honest. And it's not because I want to see him go. I love Jack Miller. I've always been a Jack Miller fan. But there's there's a lot of moving parts to this. And it's like you said, you cannot convince me that Pedro Acosta does not want a factory ride. And if he wants a factory ride, he's going to get a factory ride. And unfortunately, you're not getting rid of Brad Bender. Brad Bender's the best thing that's been part of the KTM project for years. So it's going to have to be Jack Miller that goes, unfortunately. And it's just a real dog shit situation that Jack Miller doesn't deserve to get cut, but you have to cut him because you can't let Pedro Acosta go. So really, you're in that situation. And, you know, I, I've heard a lot of rumors about, about Pedro Acosta being offered the gas gas seat. I don't think he wants the gas gas seat. I am convinced he wants the factory seat. And if he wants the factory seat, then Jack Miller's got to go. It's it's a brutal business, but it is business. The thing is, there are two things. The first thing is, Pedro and Remy are pretty close friends. They chilled in the summer break together. And this Remy has zero positive things to say about Take 3 understandably listen, listen to the podcast remy and i did uh, after smaller gp season very like good a short listen, one it was a short one but uh we just uh, still made it happen but um he has nothing good to say about tech three and if i'm pedro and i'm having my best friend in the paddock here telling me hey don't then i might as well listen and the second thing i don't understand because it could be so simple. Like Paul Espargaro had a life-threatening injury. Mm -hmm. This could have gotten uh, bad very, very quickly. Like he was very lucky. Now, after like half a season, he's back. And uh, he had some ups. He had some downs. He's still a good rider. I don't uh, want to take this away from him. And he's still a good bloke. I mean... I talked to him. He's very, very nice. Mm. But um, when is enough enough? You know? I mean, he has a family. He has two children, I believe. 
or like one child. I don't care. I mean, he has children. Yes, he has a <laughs> wife. He has he has a family. Let's put it this way. So uh, this dude has a family. He has been in MotoGP for like ten years now. Mm-hmm. He won the world championship in 2013 in Moto2. And then from 2014 onwards, he was in MotoGP. What do you want more? I mean, do you really want to kill yourself? Do you really want to have another injury like this? I mean, he crashed like five times this weekend. When is enough enough? Be like a test rider if you still want to be uh, on a MotoGP bike every now and then. But he's just a hardhead and... My solution to the problem, which uh, with Paul retiring or stepping aside wouldn't be a problem anymore, put Jack Miller into gas gas alongside Augusto Fernandez, let Pedro have the, champion, uh, the factory seat, and uh, those two guys, Brad Binder and Pedro, battle for the championship, and Jack Miller is just awesome like he is <laughs> at uh, Tech 3, help develop the bike, and... I mean, what do you want more? It's so simple, but Paul is such a hardhead and I don't understand it because he, this sport is dangerous and he escaped the crash in Portimao with a very, very, uh, yeah, very, very lucky that very he lucky. didn't kill him. Like Louis Salom died this way and it's not funny. So I, I, I don't understand it. I mean... You had your career. You are a world champion. I know you want to prove that it was Honor's problem and not your problem, but everybody knows Honor's the problem. You don't have to convince us that Honor's the problem. <laughs> so, I mean, just live your life with your family. Yeah. I don't understand. Just don't crash five times and, uh, and end up in a wheelchair whatsoever. I mean, is it really worth it? Mm, it's It's a very... It's a very somber point, but a very important point to make, especially for Paul Espargaro. The problem is, and this is the argument Paul Espargaro will make, this is what he loves to do. This is his life. This is his career. This is all he knows how to do. It's all he wants to do. And it's kind of like it's kind of like anybody when they find their passion. You know, Valentino Rossi didn't want to retire because it's that is his life. You know, Jorge Lorenzo didn't want to have to retire because that was his life. But at some point, eventually, father time catches up to all of us. And eventually, it's a, it's a conversation in the mirror that you have to have with yourself. And I think it would be a great scenario, but I don't think Paul Espargaro is willing to let go. You know, I don't know if he's trying to prove it to himself. I don't know if he's trying to stick it to Honda, even though we know he doesn't need to. But I think that would be a good solution all around where you keep Paul Espargaro as part of the KTM family. You put Jack Miller into gas gas and he's much better without pressure as well as Jack. I mean, Jack thrived when he was at Pramac because he didn't have the pressure of the factory team. If you drop him down into gas gas, you might actually get a better version of Jack Miller, perhaps. So I think that makes a lot of sense, but the question is whether Paul Espargaro is willing to take the deal or not, because I don't think he is. I don't think he can be talked down from it, and i that's kind of what scares me about Paul Espargaro is his hard-headedness. You know, like you said, and it's, a, it's another important point, you know, that is how Louis Salam died, that injury, and Paul Espargaro is remarkably lucky he didn't encounter the same fate as Louis Salam, God rest his soul. 
and it's I don't know. I really don't know. But if I had my way and I had my choice, that's the scenario I would go down where Paul Spargo takes a step back, maybe wild cards occasionally if he wants to. But you let Jack Miller go down to gas gas, you improve his contract for his trouble. You have Pedro Acosta, Brad Bender, and then you're in a very good position for 2024. I understand that every motorcycle racer loves motorcycle racing, but the question here is, do you love it more than your family? Yeah, but Leo, rationale doesn't come into this. You're dealing with irrational people here. You know, you go into Paul Espargo and saying, you know, do you want your family or your career? It, it's not as simple as that. You know, that's, I mean, if you were dealing with a rational, normal person, of course, we know what the choice would be made is. But MotoGP riders are built differently to normal human beings. This is what they are hardwired to do. And trying to talk somebody out of that is you're never going to win. The thing is, everybody is in the same danger. I mean, Alash is in the same danger. Yeah, of Paul course. is, and like Dennis Andrew in Moto3 is in the same danger as those uh, MotoGP guys, more or less. But it's different when you experienced it. You that know? is true. When you had like a traumatic crash where it could have gone sideways very easily. Like Peckle, Peckle had a very, very dangerous crash last week. But it's different, you know? It is different, yeah. It, I mean, absolutely. And look, I'm inc- as a fan, I'm incredibly grateful that Dionessi and Alpine Stars and AGV and Suomi and Shoei and all these manufacturers have made the sport so much more safer. You know, we're incredibly lucky with the state that we're in in that regard. But protective equipment can only do so much. There are certain crashes and certain scenarios where equipment isn't going to protect you. I mean, Valentina Rossi nearly got decapitated a couple of years ago in austria pull a spargaro i mean that could have gone so badly that could have gone so badly wrong if that accident had been one inch worse and i i just i don't know i really don't know i hope i hope he's at least willing to consider it because like you said and i'm on your side on this don't think i'm not you know there is a point where enough is enough and you don't have to prove anything i mean the guy's a world champion He's done more than any of us will ever do in motorcycle racing. He has won the world championship. He doesn't have anything more to prove. But like you said, these guys are knuckleheads and they're boneheaded. It's You can't talk them off the ledge. They're built to ride the ledge and ride the limit. Trying to talk them off that limit is an impossible ask. Yeah, we had some problems here because uh, the platform crashed. I mean, the internet was working, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, we still could text which is which uh, with each other but uh the pic was frozen like elsa so uh yeah but we're back and the thing is with paul to finish it off i can understand everybody's in the same danger but he's not going to win anyways like Paco about to win a world championship you couldn't understand him risking it Aleish, yes, he has children, but he's on their winning races. And Mark Marcus, uh, he is like one good bike away from maybe a ninth title. Could be possible. We don't know. We have to find out. And uh, there are these Grisini rumors. Apparently, he's staying at Honda. That's what like Spanish media is reporting. And that's like what the sponsors want. But at the end of the day, uh, apparently, he has a clause in his contract where it out as long as it's not a satellite team he's signing and 
Grizzini wouldn't be as, uh, as long as it's not a factory team where he's signing. Just, it has to be a satellite team, and Grizzini is a satellite team. So, yeah, but Mark Marcus feels different over the last two races. Like, there was this uh, period where it felt like he didn't want to be there. He just didn't want to race. He didn't want to risk it. But now it looks like, okay, he kind of got his mojo back and really wants to wants to attack again without being reckless. So I think he found a balance there. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of the season, he was just reckless, but still a couple of positions further up the grid. Then he was like overly caref careful. And now I think he kind of balanced uh, things out, which is nice to see. And I guess the Honda test uh, tomorrow, or like the Misano test with the new Honda, will be uh, very, very decisive on his future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. Actually, I'm going to give you the funniest rumor that I saw over this past week, and maybe you saw this as well. I saw a rumor from an outlet. I'm not sure which one it was, but there was a rumor that Marquez was going to try and buy the Grissini team. <laughs> Did yes, you see this? Yeah, yeah, I reposted it. Uh, I saw this on Everything Model Racing's Twitter, and uh, then I reposted it. <laughs> oh, no, on his story, I believe. Uh, it was like a tweet from somebody. But, um, yeah, I don't know if this is necessarily true. It would be wild. I mean, it, it would, would be, be funny. very, very wild. But uh, I don't think Rizzini would sell. That's the thing. Mark would buy <coughs> I believe, because he has a shitload of money. If you're Grizzini, would you really want to sell? Because you worked so hard to get your independent team back, to split from Aprilia, and yeah, I don't see it, to be honest. No. But uh, who knows? I mean, everything is possible. Mm. And um, yeah, but it looks like Mark kind of is back in a way. It does. Very good points. It actually does. And I have to say, like you said, over the last two, maybe three race weekends, Mark has actually looked a little bit different. He's looked a lot more confident, which is good for the sport. You know, I've always said a good Mark Marquez is good for MotoGP, and that is great to see. My only thing is, and to be fair, this was very smart by Mark. You know, he's still not capable of setting his own qualifying times. You know, he had to get a toe off of Danny Pedrosa to qualify well. Now, I'm not going to criticize him for that because it's Danny Pedrosa. You know, you do what you have to do. But there are going to be races and there are going to be weekends where you have to set your own time. And Mark can't keep towing off of everybody. Eventually, there is going to come a point where you have to set your own time. And that's where Mark's been falling down. It's his qualifying that keeps letting him down, not his heart or his will. But to give him his credit, he was very, very good today in Mizano, and he was great in Barcelona too. Um, I think what's interesting as well, and shout out to Jacob from Naimoto News as well for this. He Jacob at Naimoto News posted that I think Stefan Bradle was racing in a full carbon fiber chassis for Honda for next year. 
I think I saw that, so that's very interesting. Um, you know, it's clear that Honda have listened to all the criticism and they're certainly tired of hearing it. And I, I'm interested to see what Honda do, you know, because they there did look like there was a lot more sculpted aero on the bike as well. Um, it looked like there was a lot more sculpted carbon aero on the chassis of the bike. So I'm very interested to see what they do this off season. And again, even today, I was reading reports um, from, I think it was Crash MotoGP and maybe Motorsport.net as well. And there's reports that Mark will actually stay with Honda, but he was basically spicing the rumors to Ducati in order to get Honda to work on the bike. Now, I do believe that, and that would make very good sense. But I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens because it looks like Honda are at least trying something a little different, which is always good. Yeah. And if Honda uh, can build a motorcycle, then we are in for a treat next season. Mm -hmm. Imagine we have a competitive KTM. We have a competitive Ducati. We have a competitive Marc Marquez. I wouldn't uh, stretch it and say Jean Mir will be competitive <laughs> and Jean Zarco, but I think Marc on a bike which is a little bit better. It doesn't have to be as good as the Ducati because Mark is so good. Then um, we could be in for a treat. And yeah. imagine if Aprilia is uh, consistent for once. <laughs> that one was weird, especially like LA. She was like the worst Ducati. Uh, not Ducati, Aprilia, I'm sorry. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Weird. It, it was weird. But um, yeah, Joan Mir just took a shit this weekend. I mean, Joanne Mir, with respect, has been taking a shit all season. Um, it, it, it's kind of been, it's been a terrible, terrible season for Joanne Mir, and he just does not want to be there. It's so yeah. painfully obvious. You know, Joanne Mir just wants his Suzuki back. That's, and I, I don't blame him because the Suzuki was a brilliant bike. But I think if Joanne Mir had the option, he would give every penny of his salary to basically ride a suzuki bike on his own because he wants nothing to do with that honda he keeps crashing out he's miserable it's all sin you can tell and he just doesn't want to be there so it's it's an unfortunate situation for joan but like you said just keeps crapping it every single weekend yeah but he could have bought the suzuki probably and uh, <laughs> raced it on his own team <laughs> alongside alex rins that would have been hilarious ebay but, auction <laughs> yeah like crowdfunding <laughs> go fund me save the suzuki team yeah that would have been that nice. probably and would have worked I think, you know i think that with the state of the yamaha and with the state of the ducati now um if they didn't develop the bike at all they still would have been better than uh, ducati and yamaha yeah probably I mean, it's such a kick in the balls when you think about it, because it, it just sucks that badly. But I mean, as far as Juan Mir, his 2024, I don't know what the hell he's going to do, because Honda look like they're at least trying something different, but Joan just doesn't want to be there. So I don't know what his situation yeah. is. I've heard rumors about a link to the Grassini seat, but I, I don't know if that's concrete. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but that's all I've really heard. Yeah. But I can definitely see Joan Mir being better on the new Honda. Really? I, the Honda can't get worse. Well, it, yeah, that's a good point. It can't get any like, worse. It can't get any worse. And if the Honda is partially good, then Joan Mir will be better as well. So 
I think this is just end the season without injuring yourself and mm. hopefully next season will be better. But yeah, right now it's just a catastrophe and he can't stop crashing. That's the thing. That's the problem more than anything. Um, it's the inability to keep the bike on the track to begin with. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm intrigued to see 2024 for Joan Mir because 2023 has been a year to forget for that guy. And Honda still might get concessions. That is true. They might well get concessions, them and Yamaha. Yeah, I've heard that they, um, that basically Camilo Espelita and Dorna is uh, trying to get over the rule that KTM can uh, veto <laughs> the concession rule. So I'm very excited to see what's going on there. And KTM would be pissed off because there it's like a power play between Dorna and uh, KTM at the moment. Mm. And uh, KTM won six bikes. Dorna says no because Dorna would have to financially support a customer team that's in the contract they have. And um, then KTM says, okay, you won't get the concessions uh, you want for Honda and Yamaha. It's power play. It's a real interesting power struggle at the moment because, like you said, if you're KTM and you're denied two more bikes, but then concessions are given to Honda and Yamaha, you're not going to be happy. I mean, Pit Byer... Pit Byer kind of holds a lot of power in the balance here when you think about it, because on the one hand, they've got their situation with Pedro Acosta, which we've obviously covered earlier in the show. But then on the other hand, Honda and Yamaha, their 2024 kind of hangs in the balance of whether they get concessions or not. And Pit Byer kind of determines whether they do that or not, because like you said, he has that veto power to completely kill that dead. So if I'm Carmelo Espeleta, I think a deal has to be struck here where I don't know what you give Pit Buyer. Maybe you give him a fifth bike. I don't know what that is. But you're going to have to be very careful with how you manage this because they hold, they do hold a lot of the cards here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, Pit Buyer has all four wheels on the ground and we'll see uh, where the direction goes. Now we have a disappointed Pit Barra meme, so that's going to be fun. So yeah, the weekend, um, the weekend definitely delivered. <laughs> uh, I would like to quickly run through Moto Two and Moto Three because uh, dinner's ready. I'm fucking tired and I want to eat. And <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> and uh, basically, Celestino uh, Vietti robbed us of a disappointed Val meme like four <laughs> times. It's incredible. He channeled his inner Mark Marcus and saved everything yeah it was still too good too fast everything was fine iron canet crashed in a uh, in a pursuit of another p2 but <laughs> it is what it is and uh, jack dixon took a shit on the back of the grid again because he got outsmarted by the guy uh, they say is the next Mark Marcus. That was the best meme, by the way, just really quickly. That Jake Dixon meme when you're outsmarted by the next Mark Marquez. <laughs> that was, I applaud you, sir. That was very yeah. funny. <laughs> I had it with the, um, with the monster meme. Uh, <laughs> who's just the, but then they showed the picture from the broadcast and I thought, yep, this is perfect. <laughs> and uh, Moto3, I mean... It's gonna be insane, and David Alonso might have a real shot at a title. How incredible! And uh, Daniel Gado is really taking a dump at the moment. <laughs> and 
I mean, it's wild. Dennis Önschel doing wild things. Uh, David Alonso doing wild things. Raume Masia all of a sudden is in the mix again for the championship. So it's wide open. I'm all here for it. And like imagine a championship battle that goes down to Valencia where still four people can win the world championship and are within like five points. What's oh, imagine that would be amazing. How incredible. And then put David Munoz into the mix fighting for his first victory and then you have carnage i mean you're gonna have dead bodies <laughs> david munoz is the new darren bender it's gonna be crazy oh do you boy. know what happened uh, between lucas tulovic and isan guevara they didn't show replay it Yeah, I did see that actually. Um there was a real battle for the inside line there. And I think um Isan Guevara had the inside line and Lucas Tulovic wouldn't give it up. And I think his front tire hit Isan Guevara's rear tire and it spun them both off the track. So I'll, I'd have to go back and watch it again, but I think it was Tulovic's fault because I think Guevara had the line. Can you send it to me, please? Because I didn't see it. Probably I was busy making memes or whatsoever, but um <laughs> Yeah, no problem. If I see it, I'll I'll uh, send it to yeah. you. Maybe there's like a Twitter video you can send me. By the way, sometimes. by the way, congratulations to Diogo Mujera. It'll Transmoto 2 next season. Yeah. Big move. Yeah, I'm quite disappointed because I thought he would do better. Are you ever happy? No. <laughs> no I'm happy with David Alonso. I mean, come on. I'm happy This with Dennis Enchu. fucking incredible. Yes, I'm very happy with Dennis Enchu. Like the uh, the Norwegian flag thing. I saw it in his Instagram bio recently. And then the commentators say uh, that his mom is from there. And it looks like now he's channeling his inner Scandinavian since he's at <laughs> His inner Erling Haaland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was just uh, perfect to make the IO meme. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah incredible and i'm all here for moto 3 battle that goes down to what to the wire remember how awesome it was when pedro and uh, dennis Foggia was yeah as well. it was crazy and then darren binder like david munoz could be the david darren binder of the 2023 season it could yeah. be amazing imagine david oh. munoz wiping out dennis Enchu in the last corner in valencia <laughs> and stealing his title <laughs> as a redemption act for catalonia oh god I love Moto3 on a level people will never understand. It is the greatest show ever created. Honestly, I didn't want to get up. I was going to sleep for another five hours. But <laughs> holy moly, Moto3 will get me out of bed every time. because Every time. Utterly crazy. I'm looking forward to getting up at four in the morning for the fucking overseas races where I'm... Uh, Half asleep still, then watching stupid rain delay the whole session for an hour where I could have slept. <laughs> But Moto 3 is worth it. It's amazing, and I'm all here for it. Uh, so, yeah. We uh, should see, like, see for the overseas races. Sorry, just before we end, we sh if people want it, we should live stream watching Moto 3 in the overseas races. I thought about doing some live streams, but. I think it would be utterly boring because um, I'm not quite, um, yeah, too invested in watching because like I'm watching, making memes, watching, making memes. And then there's a situation where Dennis Henry just rams David Munoz off and I'm just going crazy. But 
Yeah. As I think it would disturb the meme making process. So yeah, live stream is not on my radar at the moment. Maybe for like World Super there, Series, but yeah, whatever. Um, thank you very much for watching. Thank you, everybody. And I'm heading the fuck out. <sighs> Goodbye.